Well, I want to lay a foundation very quickly because without laying this foundation, what I'm about to tell you probably won't, won't make sense. One of the most difficult things about teaching kingdom is that it doesn't resonate with the Western culture. It doesn't resonate with us. Kingdom, if you preach kingdom outside of America, it, it, it catches just like it because they understand the nature of being a, a, a foreign nation and being there and influencing you. So in week seven today, we want to talk about what, another blessing. We have a blessing in Christ because we are citizens of the kingdom. Somebody say citizens of the kingdom. The blessing here is that now we are part of God's kingdom. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 22, and we're closing out this section of the chapter. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Somebody say cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place. Now, interesting. I don't know how many of you have watched the royal wedding. Anybody? Now, for those of you who watched it, I know what you were thinking. Are you serious? I saw lines, hundreds of thousands of people lined up for hours just to get a one or two pictures on the cell phone to see a horse and buggy carriage of the, the new princess, the prince, and just to ride by. And, and listen, if you listen to the guy who was the narrator, the British guy, oh, he was jacked up. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, this is what we do in Britain. <laughs> it is who we are. And I'm thinking to myself, I said, what if one of Obama's daughters or Trump's son would have gotten married? Would the whole nation have gathered? Not. (laughs) Not. But it is what they do in great, and they take pride because that is their kingdom. It is what they do. And one of the most difficult parts about this message is we've got to understand that the message of the kingdom, it was so important that it was, it's, it's mentioned 162 times in the New Testament. That's how important the message is. It is mentioned more than being born again. Not that born again is not important. 162 times the kingdom is, in, is mentioned. And so for in order of us to really understand what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom because of the blessing, we've got to understand what is the kingdom. We had an opportunity to go to Kenya. And in 1965, I learned in 1965, Kenya got his independence from Great Britain. Gone. They're gone. Great Britain's gone. Our only understanding of kingdom is our historical understanding from 1776. We just, we just defeated the British army and kicked them out. And so, you know, we snub at the idea of being called subjects of anybody. We snub at that. But there are places around the world where they take great pride in being subject to a monarchy or a kingdom. And we can see long after Great Britain has been gone since 1965, we see the effects of that kingdom. They have steering wheels on the right side of the the vehicle. That freaked me out the first time I saw it. 
Because we were sitting in a vehicle, and the guy was driving. I was in the back seat, and Debbie was sitting in the front. And she started turning around and talking, just talking. And when I looked up, I'm like, oh, wait, what you doing? Grab the wheel. And it was on the other side. My poor little American mind was not used to that. And then there were roundabouts. We finally got our first roundabout here in Homer. That was crazy. These Cajun folks didn't know what to do with that. Roundabout? Some of us still don't know what to do with that. And then they drank tea, chai tea at noon. And then the most obvious characteristic of where you are from is the language. Hello, good fellow. Chilly, chilly ho. Do you know how weird it was for me to see a black guy say good fellow? We don't say good fellow in the hood. Good fellow, what you going to do at drive-by? Are you kidding me? Oh, God had to really prepare me for this trip. But as strange, <laughs> but as, strange as that is to, to me, it's people who sit outside of the kingdom of God and they look at us and they're like, y'all strange. Because they don't understand why we do the things we do. It's because we represent another kingdom. Come on, somebody. Even though Great Britain is long gone, but you see the effects of them being there. You know, you would think between Moses, I mean, between Adam and Jesus, about 4,000 years, and you would think at some point God would have already, you know, uh, sent Jesus to just overturn this sin thing. But why would he wait 4,000 years? He waited 4,000 years because the power that existed was Rome. They were the first power that understood kingdom and colonization. Because all the other empires, just bear with me now and then we'll get into the message. All the other empires would conquer a people and snatch them from their land. But Rome was the first nation that literally conquered the people left from there and then influenced those nations that they conquered. So everywhere you saw Rome conquered, you saw Rome's power and influence. Thus we get when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So in the, in the spirit realm, even though we know our king is not physically here, Yet two things, his kingdom is here and his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is here in the sense that now his influence has been here, has felt in the collective body of people who come to know him as Jesus, as Lord, and we see the body of Christ being orchestrated by the king and his kingdom. So we see kingdom work. What you saw on the screen was kingdom work. We see the effect. We see the influence. And then when your family don't understand why you say the things you say, it is only an indication that you are from another kingdom when you speak the way you speak. So here's the thing. Let's, let's get started. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God for us to understand? If we, if it's a blessing for us to be a citizen of the kingdom, then what is the kingdom? It is the establishment of order. Somebody say order. Purpose, authority, and rulership of God on the earth based on spiritual principles, which demands proper relationship with God in Christ. Somebody say in Christ. Now notice it says spiritual principles. And that hang on to that because we're going to tell you why it's spiritual. If it is where 
The kingdom is where the power of God is evident, the presence of God is experienced, and the purpose of God is realized. Let me say it one more time. The kingdom of God is where the power of God is evident, the presence of God is experienced, and the purpose of God is realized. Every day we come, every time we come in here, we see the kingdom in operation. We see it in operation. We see the power. In Matthew 4, 16 and 17, it says, it says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those who lived in a land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach. And what did he begin to preach? Repent of your sins and turn from God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I want you to understand the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is used synonymous. It's the same thing. So Jesus' first message, he began to declare his first purpose. He said, my mission is to preach the kingdom. Somebody say kingdom. It is the one thing that we need to understand has been the missing element within the collective body of the church within this culture is the idea of kingdom. Paul said this. We talk about the power. Paul talked about this, he says, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 18 through 20. He says, some of you have become arrogant, thinking I will not visit you again, but I will come and soon if the Lord lets me. And then I'll find out whether these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches or whether they really have God's power. Now watch this now. For the kingdom of God is not just in a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. It is living under the demands of the king in which we reside as subjects. Now, notice what it says. Go back to the scripture in Ephesians. In light of everything Christ has done for us, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now watch this. When we talk about a citizen, what is a citizen by definition? It is a legally recognized subject or a national of a state or a commonwealth. I know all the talking heads in, in, in uh, Washington, D.C. is grappling over whether or not we should build a wall to keep illegal people from coming in here. Because we have laws that says you can come in here. But I want you to understand it is Christ's blood that tore down the wall to make us legal even though we were illegal. He tore down the wall so we can come. Amen? So a citizen is a, legal, is, is a legally re recognized subject or a national of a state or a commonwealth. So the first thing he addresses is that you are no longer strangers. What's a stranger? A person home one does not know nor are familiar in a place or community. And he says you are no longer not known because you are no longer a stranger. Second thing he recognized, he says that you are no longer, you are no longer an alien. Now, we're not talking about that little E.T. thing or them little creatures on Independence Day. I think one of the most powerful things about the superheroes is that in the minds of a lot of people, we love Superman because, number one, he's from another planet. Number two, he's not affected by what affects us. Number three, he's able to walk on water. He's able to fly. And so people get enamored by this guy. But I want you to understand 
Our kingdom is not of this world, and his kingdom is not of this world, and so therefore, we find ourselves difficult to fit in because there are things, the way we live, don't fit in the way the culture wants us to live. So he says, what is an alien? Belonging to another person, a place, or owing allegiance to another government, authority, or power. He says, he says, you are no longer a stranger. Why is that? Because now I have made you a collective body, a part of the collective body of Christ. I've given you a home. You bear my name. And you're no longer an alien, even though you are an alien. If you are an alien, you're an alien to this culture, to this world, because you do not fit in. You, nothing in this world should own us but Christ. Amen? Now, I want to show you a picture. Put the picture up of Ephesus. I want you to see this. This is a picture of modern, of ancient Ephesus. There was over 700,000 people that lived there. 700,000. And I want you to look at this. When Paul, the apostle, would go and make his journey into Ephesus, in and out, what he noticed was there were a, 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 a bunch of people that chose to live on the outskirts of Ephesus. One of the most, one of the biggest uh, uh, cities of that time, only rivaled by Rome, I think it was in Alexandria, 700,000 people. But he says as Paul would walk into the city, he would notice there were people who chose to live outside the city. They didn't want to get involved. They were outside. They were known as strangers and aliens. They did not want to participate in it. And if you notice, there's a wall around the city. When Paul saw that, he went, wow, wait a minute. Let me just get, God has given me a revelation. He said, you are not like these people anymore. He says, you were on the outside. Remember, this is how God was seeing us before we were in Christ, not how we were seeing ourselves. In Christ's mind, in God's eyes, we were aliens. We were strangers to the commonwealth of Israel and God. But the thing was, God did not want us to stay strangers. Amen? So look at, look at 1 Peter I'm sorry, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, according to the Amplified, outsiders without rights of citizens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints, God's people, and are members of his household. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, 17, it is interesting what Paul said uh, to the Philippian church. Paul was sending a staunch warning to those who had crept into the body of Christ and was confess- confessing Christ with their lips, but their lifestyle was totally different. They demanded that the, 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 the legalism of living a life in Christ was only relegated since we are free from sin. Then from their point, you were free to sin. And here is what Paul warned the Philippian church. He says in Philippians 3.17, it says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Paul is very emotional about this. And here's the thing that he says drives his, the tears. Walk as, these people walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite or their belly. And they glory in their shame. With minds they set on earthly things, but our citizenship, watch, here we go, verse 20. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it, 
we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying to the Philippian church? He tells them, he says, I'm warning you now. There are those who, who lives are governed by their own emotions. What they choose to do, they do it. He said, but this is not like you anymore because, number one, we say uh, as citizens, we are now brand, have a brand new identity in God, in Christ Jesus. Number one, we have a brand new identity, a brand new identity in him. He says, you're no longer like these people. They glory in their shame. They live by the, their, their, their emotions. He says, we don't live like that because in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. First Peter 2, 9 tells us, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. Somebody say chosen. And this is the beauty of this particular, these two words, chosen. Remember in the kingdom, the kingdom, a kingdom always reflects the will and desire of the king. So if the king decides at some point they don't want you around, guess what? His, his, his not wanting you there will be felt in your expulsion of the kingdom. So here we see in 1 Peter 2, 9 that he says, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others. Here it is. He says, I have chosen you for the sole purpose of, and here it is, but you have been chosen to show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So why did he call you? Why wouldn't he allow you to be a stranger? Why did he give us a new identity? Because he knew that in our world exists those who had desires. You know what's interesting? It doesn't matter where human beings are. We all have the same desires. We all have the same longings. And Christ, being our creator, knows the longing of every one of us. And he says, when I pull you out of darkness, I give you a new identity. And the the verse says, so that we can show others the goodness of Christ, what he has done for us. We can tell them God can do as well. In 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10, it says, for God saved us and called us to live, how? Holy. He did this, not because... We deserve it. But because that was his plan. Now you ask yourself, well, why would God do that? Because he's king. Because he's king. His plan before the beginning of time was to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all things, all of this plan for, plain for us, to us, by, appear, by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. When you look at 2 Timothy 1.9, it is a blessing to, to really lock and load because he did this, number one, because it brought him great pleasure. Number two, he did it because he planned it long ago. This is what I'm saying. When you understand that in, before Christ came and outside of Christ, we're seen as strangers and aliens. But our sin separated us from God. And so his whole purpose was to seek and save that which is lost and to bring the kingdom back into the earth through the lives of those who come to trust him and believe him and call him Lord. Is there anybody here, trust God and call him Lord? Then you're a part of that kingdom. Now, there are four truths I want to get to. 
that talks about being a citizen of the kingdom. Four truths of the kingdom. The first one, God's kingdom originates from his realm, which makes this kingdom spiritual. It originates from his realm. So everything we need to understand about being a citizen of the kingdom of God, it is a blessing, is that, number one, our focus, we're not going to see the world the way the world sees the world. We're going to see it differently. We're required to see it differently. Why? Because we have to have a spiritual perspective while passing through this earthly experience. Let me say it again. We have to keep a spiritual perspective while experiencing this earth suit, while in this earth suit. Okay, look what it says in John chapter 8, verse 35, 36, and 37. And I think uh, Pastor Ben read that. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them I find no fault in this man. I, I, want, you, I want you to see something here very quickly. Go back to that verse. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Then he further says, my kingdom is not from the world. Now notice, he didn't say my kingdom is not in this world. Two things he mentions, my kingdom is not of this world. And then he simply says, my kingdom is not from. He says, my governing is not based, its source comes from this world. And all its trappings and its philosophy. My kingdom is from another place. But even though it's from another place, I'm influencing where I am. What I do has not originated in some college or university. It is heavenly. It is spiritual. That's why Jesus refused to address any issue of the Roman government because his kingdom was not geopolitical. It was spiritual. And that's why the, Jew, the Jewish leader did not, could not, did not understand his message. They were looking for a geopolitical leader to set them free from Rome. But this came to, king came to set you free from sin. Even though they may have been freed from Rome, if they're not set free from sin, they're still slaves. Today, if you're sitting under the sound of my voice and you have not made the Lord Jesus Christ your savior, then you are a you are a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. And God is standing on every step with his arms extended, giving you an invitation to come and no longer be a stranger, to no longer be an alien, but to come into the household of God. He gives that invitation to you. He gives that invitation to you. So the first thing we need to understand as citizens of this kingdom, God's kingdom originates from his realm, which is spiritual. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, how? In Christ. Somebody say in Christ. What did he bless us? What did we get in Christ? Every what? Every what? One more time. Every what? Where? Now, it doesn't mean we were blessed and all of a sudden in heavenly place, we just left. 
this place and we're no longer here. What he is saying is because the kingdom is the operation and the authority and influence of God in the realm of the spirit, he says, because you are in Christ, he said, now I'm giving you authority in my name to affect the spirit realm while living right here. Do you realize what that means? That means that when we are in Christ, we have, when we go to God in prayer, I love our Wednesday night prayer meeting. It is awesome. This weekend, was, how many of you went there? It was awesome. We know when we pray for marriages, we expect God to do what we have prayed. Not that because we're all that, but because he has given us the authority to begin to operate in his name and the realm of the spirit. And as believers, you need to understand that. We ought to stop whining and crying over what's not happening. Stand up and say, God, I am your child. I have these blessings in you. And so therefore, 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 I don't don't demand God to do anything. He says, I'm giving you the right as my subject in my kingdom to come to me as your king and tell me what's going on with you. Amen. Bless God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Watch this. Because his kingdom is not of this world, and we are subjects that are not of this world, he says, do not be what? Okay, do not be conformed. We there? Yeah. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect and well-pleasing. He says, because you are not of this world, he says, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed. So we know it's not of this world. The second thing we need to understand about the kingdom of God is God's kingdom re- reflects his sovereignty. Somebody say sovereignty. Now, anybody know what the word sovereignty? The word sovereignty means I make choice and decisions, and I don't ask anybody for permission. Do you understand that? That's what sovereignty means. God makes his choices, and he consults with no one. He didn't ask anybody should the, green, the grass be green. That's what he wanted. But even more important than that, it is a greater blessing because if God is sovereign and he chose you, think about the blessing in his ability to choose you. Even while you were no good and we were sinners doing our own thing, even when we didn't look God's way, he says, I'm going to choose you. Why did you choose me? Because it pleases me and I'm God. It pleases me and I'm God. That should never be any jealousy in the house, in God's kingdom, because God's kingdom is so massive and so great and has so much to do in it. And think about it. If you have been given the right to be a part of the citizenship of God in his kingdom, it is amazing what God wants to do in and through you once you get past yourself. Once you get past yourself. God's kingdom reflect his sovereignty. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Somebody say in Christ. To be holy without fault in his eyes. 
God decided in advance to do what? Adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God's kingdom reflects his sovereignty. While everybody might have problems with who you are, God says, I don't have a problem with who you are. And as subjects of the kingdom, God loves everybody. So therefore, we have to love even those who are unlovable. God's kingdom reflects his his sovereignty. In Psalms 103, 19 says this, The Lord has made the heavens his throne, and from there he rules everything. He rules everything. Can I tell you why it is a blessing, another blessing to be a part of God's kingdom? I want you to think about this for a minute. Before any one of us ever came to Christ, did you ever have a vision of seeing yourself doing the things that you're doing in the kingdom of God? No, no, no. When you consider Pat and all you guys, how, how the, the gravity, the, the bigness, the, how powerful what you guys did in Uganda, and then 20 years from now, even if you just go, went one time and don't ever go back, what you're seeing is impacting generations of people who literally will turn that nation upside down for Jesus Christ because you chose to be a part of the body of Christ and affect change in God's kingdom and his people. That's powerful because it is from his throne he reigns and he rules. The third thing we need to understand about the kingdom is God's kingdom operates for his glory. God's kingdom operates for his glory. I'm going to say this very quickly and move on. Can I tell you why there's such a struggle from this position? Not here, but just this position. It's because the, na- the idea of kingdom has not resonated with this culture. And so what you have is men and women who are standing behind this desk and building their own kingdoms. I don't know about you, but if I go to a restaurant and I order shrimp and pasta and you bring me a steak, I'm going to have some problem with this. I want you to give me what I ordered. Too many times we're seeing in the pulpit that many people who bear the name of God, but they're building their own kingdoms versus having the mindset that I'm here to build the kingdom of God. And when you understand, and that's why I love Pastor Ben, he understands the nature of the kingdom of God and being in Christ because he walks carefully in just the way how he responds to those who talk to him. Because he will have to give an account to the king for every idle word he speaks, not only to you behind closed doors or behind this pulpit. And every other Christian in here who bear the name of Jesus Christ. God's kingdom operates for his glory. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, it says, For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory go to him forever. Amen. And finally, number four, God's kingdom operates in accordance with his will. God's kingdom operates in accordance with his will. So as a subject of the kingdom, we need to understand when God is doing something, 
It is by his will and we should never be upset. Well, Lord, why are you doing that with them and not us? I have something else for you to do. Oh, let me say this. This is so very important. The Holy Spirit just revealed this to me. Because we are subjects as citizens, we're now, you know, because in Christ we are now citizens of the kingdom of God. It is God who directs the lives and the affairs and the ministry of those under his jurisdiction. Now, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say this the way it needs to be said. And I say it lovingly. On the day that it was revealed to the body of Christ who the next leader would be, we need to understand that because we are subjects of the king, it is what the king ordered. When there is a transition of power in England, they don't ask the people whether or not you like this particular king or queen. They don't ask you that. That's not important. There's a transition of power that comes with being in in, in Great Britain. God orchestrates the affairs of his kingdom. And so, therefore, when God begins to pull levers and open doors and close doors, we need to say, Lord, thank you. We will submit to you because you are orchestrating your kingdom. And I will submit to what you are doing because you are Lord, not me. And there were times in seasons, Sister Nadine, there were times in seasons, Pastor Vern. That sometimes seasons come and seasons go. As much we would have loved, and I got to say this because this is part of the kingdom. As much as we would love to keep Pastor Renee here until we lay him out here. (laughs) The king had something else in mind. And this is what I love about being a subject of that king. He's righteous. He's holy. There was no vile in him. So everything he does, he does it out of his love and his perfection for his people. And the reason why I'm excited is because I know that when God begins to switch and do things, he's taking his people to another level. Nothing wrong with the old king. Nothing wrong with the old head. He fulfilled the season and was faithful within the season that God gave him the responsibility. And he says, now I'm shifting gears because I see the heart of this young man. And now I'm going to now move some other things and put him now in a position because there's something I want to do in his life, something I want to do in the life of the church. And now I'm going to take you to that level. And all we have to do is submit to what God is doing in this season. God's kingdom operates for his glory. His kingdom operates according to his will. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. I'm almost finished. When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words over and over again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Pray this. Here it is. If we're going to pray as subjects of the kingdom of God, this is the prayer we pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be holy. And here it is, verse 10. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. He says, if you're going to pray as a subject of the kingdom, now that we have a blessing in Christ, and we now say, he says, Lord, in my life, in the life of the leaders of this church, the life of the families of this church, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me put it another way you can understand it. Lord, we want this place here on earth to look like heaven. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven to do the will, Jesus said, the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. The second thing in closing, not only are we have a blessing of being a citizen of the kingdom of God, but as a citizen of the kingdom of God, he is building his temple. And as a citizen, he says, now we have you as a citizen, you are now partakers of his holy temple. Wow. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, 21, 20, 21, and 22. Look what the scripture says. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Somebody say cornerstone. Somebody say cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. Somebody say holy temple. In the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is he saying there? Two very important things. Leave the scripture up. Leave the scripture up. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Look at verse 21. In whom the whole structure is what? The whole structure being joined together. Look at verse 22. In him you also are being built. Notice it says being joined and being built. Those two phrases speaks of sanctification. Because while all of us are now have joined, being joined into what we call the temple of God, there are some of us that stick out because there are certain edges that need to be rubbed off. But he's still, the, the being joined means he's not through with you yet. But just because you're not there yet doesn't mean you're not in the temple. Doesn't mean that he has not accepted you. The being joined and being built means, he says, you're in the family, but there are some things I need to work out of you and work into you while you are part of this family. So if God is patient with us, should we not be patient with each other? 1 Corinthians 3.10 says, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I lay a foundation and someone else is building up on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Paul was not saying, I am the, I, I'm the one who built this foundation. He says, I only, I'm only laying what was given to me. What was given to me by the revelation of Jesus Christ, I'm laying what was given to me. And be careful how you choose to build on it. Now, what is interesting when it says that Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone, a cornerstone was a very important aspect of building the temple in the Old Testament. The cornerstone was important because it was a part of the, 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 the structure in which all other pieces of stones or the walls would be measured by. It became the standard 
Not only did the, the cornerstone in building the temple in the Old Testament became the standard by which you would measure all the other walls, it also was a, a, a stone of unity. It, 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 it bind together the foundation and the walls. And Paul, knowing that, he says, because you are now partakers of the temple, he says, Christ will, is now the cornerstone. Well, what is the structure? He said, the foundation itself is the gospel. It becomes the standard. It becomes the foundation. If we build our lives on anything other than the gospel, the structure will not stand. If you build your marriage on something other than the word of God, your marriage is not going to stand. When we build our our lives and our marriage and raising our children on the principles of God's word, they are eternal, eternal, and they stand the test of time. So even when you release your children, they're able to come back with a greater revelation of God because their lives and their training was based on the principles of God's word, not the philosophies of men. So while every man on Friday is looking to go and spend the paycheck and go to a gentleman's club, which I never understand why they call it a gentleman's club, because gentlemen don't go there. Some of y'all figure that out when you're on the way out the door. Kingdom men get excited and ask, where are you going? Man, I'm going to take my wife out to, to Shoney's. I'm going to take her out to, we don't even have Shoney's anymore. Oh, my gosh. We don't even have showing that shit. You got to go all the way to New Orleans. I'm taking my wife out to the movies. I'm going to take, wait, wait, you're doing what? Man, I ain't t- trying to take my old lady out, man. I'm going to do this. See, we live life differently as kingdom men because we're under a different influential power. We run home to our wives. They run from them. A kingdom woman doesn't get around her friends and bash her husband. Because you know a husband is a representation of Christ to her. That's not the message. I just had to put that in there. <laughs> I'm blown away. And when we, every time we was in, I'm going to miss you this year, Tina. It's crazy how Tina, every time I walk into one, the, 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 uh, the workroom, Tina have all these women. And every time Vern's name would come up, she would just get googly-eyed. Just go like, oh, I love me some Vern. But, I, but Tina, I just want you to understand something. If you look immediately to your left all the way to the other side, there's a sister love her some Freddie. And if you look immediately to the right, there's a sister who love her some Ben. And we can go on and on and on. There's some sisters who love their husbands in here, right, sisters? I thought I would have got a little more than that. The structure is the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, according to the grace of God given to me, like a master builder, I build and lay a foundation and someone else build on it. Let each one of you be careful how you build on it, for no one can lay the foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Somebody say Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10, 13 through 17, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only in regards to the area of influence God assigned to us. To reach even to reach even to you, for we are not overextending ourselves as though we had we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody said Christ. 
We do not boast beyond the limit in our labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. So if we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And finally, the stability. We've got the structure. The foundation is the word of God. The stability. What holds this temple together? What holds it all together? Jesus Christ, because he's this cornerstone. And 1 Peter 2, 5, it says, you yourselves, a living stone, are being built up. That's the sanctifying work. He's changing and rearranging us. A spiritual house to be holy, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. It describes Christ, and whoever believes in him will not be ashamed. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected have become the cornerstone. And the stone that they have rejected is a stumbling stone and a rock of offenses. Because you have rejected the only one who has laid the foundation for anything in your life. You have rejected the one stone who gives the proper standard by which all things should be governed. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were disdained to do. Hebrews eleven eight through 10 says this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. A place he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to a city that has a foundation whose designer and builder was God. He went out and believed what God was saying, He trusted in God when it didn't seem like it was right to trust him or gave him no evidence that he should. But he looked for a builder and a designer who the builder was God. Christ is our cornerstone. The cornerstone determines the measurement or the standard. The cornerstone provides unity and support for the temple. He brings this thing all together. What makes this thing work in this church is not Pastor Ben. What makes his work is the cornerstone. And that's the blessing of being in Christ. It's that we are now partakers of this this temple. We are grounded and founded doctrinally in Christ. Therefore, we are governed, we grow, and we are united together in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand. Father, we want to thank you that you have given us the privilege and the honor to be partakers in what you're doing in your temple. We are that temple, but you are the cornerstone and you are the foundation. Thank you for giving us your word that which it becomes a standard, a measurement, a unity that supports. But God, I pray now that these just do not be words that fall on ears of eloquent speech. I pray that we will leave out of these doors with the action that we have been called to increase the kingdom. 
We have been called to teach others of the love of Jesus Christ. So our mission, should we choose it, and it's not a mission that's impossible, but it's a mission that is possible. Lord, we are subjects in your kingdom. Give us your orders and direct it for the rest of this day. And as we rise up on the next morning, Lord, let us not miss an opportunity to share the message of the gospel of the kingdom with those we come in contact with. We thank you for those who have responded to your word and have given their lives to you. Today, in the name of Jesus, if there are those of you that are in, the, in this place that have not made the Lord Jesus Christ the center of your life, you've never made him the Lord of your life, you sit on the outside of the commonwealth of God, but he don't want you to stay there. He wants you to come in because he wants you to experience the blessing, what it means to be a subject of the kingdom of God. Right after this service is over, our pastors will be down front. If you said today, I'm not hardening my heart. What I heard today is driving me. And the question I want to ask, many of you are asking, what must I do to be saved? We're going to wait around here after church is over. And we want to come and we want to pray one-on-one with you to lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that you go with your people, watch over and protect them. May everything we do go for, do for the glory of our Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.